On December 1st, 2023, day 12 of season 99 of Learned League, we learned four basic human rights, which President Franklin Delano Roosevelt proclaimed as four freedoms. I'm Ben Rothenberg, and I later learned that baked into those four freedoms, freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, freedom from fear, a quartet which inspired a series of iconic paintings by Norman Rockwell, was the all-important freedom to be dumb, dumb and wrong. Our story of this episode starts around 9.30 a.m. on Saturday, November 9th, 1940, at Arlington Memorial School, a 12-room school in rural southwestern Vermont. The school is closed, it's a Saturday, but a janitor, John West, is in the building cleaning when he hears a crackling sound coming from a second-floor classroom, which is being used for storage. That crackling sound is a fire. According to a report the next day in the Burlington Free Press, Quote, flames broke out through the roof, and the united efforts of fire departments from Arlington, Manchester, and South Shaftesbury failed to contain it. Before noon, the 12-room school building was reduced to what the paper called a heap of steaming brick and mortar. With the school totally burned down, temporary arrangements for schooling for the hundreds of affected students were made, and local officials quickly got to work with their urgent plans to build a new school to replace the destroyed Arlington Memorial School. According to a later report in the Bennington Evening Banner, gosh, there used to be lots of local newspapers in the day, Three days after the school burned down, there was a citizens' meeting, which appointed a preliminary committee with Harlan Miller as its chairman. And within a month, Harlan Miller and his committee had prepared specific recommendations for a new school. And a special school district meeting was held in which Harlan and his committee were given, quote, a warm vote of thanks for their work and the excellence of their report. According to the Bennington Evening Banner, it was a voice vote with no opposing voices. A month after that, in January 1941, the vote was confirmed with another vote by ballot this time at a special school district meeting in Arlington, and the vote was 88% in favor of all the funding needed, which was $80,000, a sum close to Arlington's legal debt limit. There was also $35,000 in there was also $35,000 in fire insurance which was available. But to have all the things the community wanted for the new school building, including a gymnasium which they had wanted for a long time, there was a fundraising effort on top of all of this, which raised another $26,000, roughly. Community support for the school had been strong for decades. A woman the paper describes as Arlington, Vermont's most popular citizen, Dorothy Canfield Fisher, spoke at the 1942 opening of the newly rebuilt Arlington Memorial School to remind citizens of why the school was called Memorial. Years ago, when the great effort was being made to raise money to build the earlier school, Another effort had been going on for some time to collect funds for a monument in honor of the soldier heroes of Arlington. When it became apparent that every penny that could be gathered was needed for the school, it was by sort of communal inspiration that the decision was made to add to the funds for the school any money raised for the soldier's monument, and to consider a good school the best possible memorial for the heroic dead. This plain old mountain town thus embodied in action the noble conception that to live well for one's nation is another aspect of the devotion which makes citizen soldiers proud to die for their country. With that action... Arlington's people rose to a height of poetry in life. Has any other town thus honored its soldiers by making a greater effort to make better citizens out of the children and grandchildren of those soldiers? I have never heard of one. What does any of this have to do with anything, you may be wondering? Well, FDR made his famous Four Freedom speech in January 1941, shortly after his second re-election. And a couple weeks after that, also in January 1941, was the formal meeting of the school district in Arlington, Vermont, where the plans to rebuild this school were ratified. And two key people were at this school board meeting. The first was the artist Norman Rockwell, who had moved to Arlington a couple years earlier, a pivotal move that causes Arbor to start focusing more on small town life. And then there was Jim Edgerton, 
a local citizen who stood and objected at this meeting. With Roosevelt's four freedoms ringing in his mind, Rockwell decided that Edgerton standing and objecting would become the model for his Freedom of Speech painting, which has become one of his most iconic works. The paintings and the rest of Rockwell's Four Freedoms series was used to sell war bonds to help America's effort in World War II. The paintings were hugely successful, touring around America and selling millions of reproductions, making Rockwell a household name. Art historian Bruce Cole, a former chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities, wrote in a 2009 essay in the Wall Street Journal about the painting Freedom of Speech that, quote, using a classical pyramidal composition, Rockwell focuses attention on the standing speaker whose age, worn and stained jacket, rough hands with dirty fingernails, and plaid shirt set him apart from the neat coats, ties, and white shirts of the older men in the audience. Although he is a working man, this figure, his face reminiscent of Lincoln's, is unafraid to voice his opinion, which we suspect is contrary to that of the others in the room. Standing tall, his mouth open, his shining eyes transfixed, he speaks his mind, untrammeled and unafraid. In Rockwell's vision, he has become not only an active public participant in democracy, but a defender of it. He is the very embodiment of free speech, a living manifestation of that abstract right, an image that transforms principle, paint, and yes, creed, into an indelible image, and a bright and beloved American icon still capable of inspiring millions worldwide. Yes, okay, sure, but remember this guy, Jim Edgerton, was speaking at the school board meeting to object to the school being rebuilt after it had been burned down. Being against rebuilding a school is the moment of free speech which Norman Rockwell immortalized. I wasn't able to find any details of what Edgerton's objections were, in fairness to him, I guess. The Bennington Evening Banner reported of the January meeting that, quote, there was little discussion from the floor before the vote passed 119 to 15, and, quote, most everyone there seemed agreed that the plans for the school were good and necessary. Maybe Jim Edgerton had some very valid anti-school message? Whatever his message was, it seems lost to history. But the fact that he had something to say no matter how anti-school building or how dumb endures. One more recent note on this painting, art critic Deborah Solomon, who wrote a biography of Rockwell in 2013, which got some very mixed reviews, describes Edgerton in Rockwell's painting as, quote, unattached and sexually available, unbuttoned and unzipped. Rockwell's family was not thrilled with this and many other choices Solomon made in her analysis of Rockwell's work, including an assertion that Rockwell had, quote, pedophilic impulses. Rockwell's descendants put out a statement that concluded that, quote, this book has a lot more to say about Deborah Solomon than it does about Norman Rockwell. In an interview with Guernica magazine, Solomon had another odd but interesting in context of the story thing to say about Rockwell and his four freedoms. Solomon said when he created the four paintings, which were eventually used to raise money for the sale of war bonds, he became America's unofficial painter-in-chief, which was obviously very gratifying for him. He went to Washington and was hailed as a national hero, and then he immediately returned home to Arlington, Vermont, and burned down his studio. He had that big fire after he finished his Four Freedoms paintings. I'm not going to speculate that he burned down his studio because he was uncomfortable with the acclaim, but certainly there is some link between the acclaim and the destruction of his studio. Solomon doesn't seem to have any proof for her claim that Rockwell intentionally burned down his studio. When the Guernica interviewer asked her, she said it was an accident, but also adds, quote, didn't Freud say there's no such thing as an accident? But either way, Norman Rockwell and his freedoms were bookended by fires, and people having some odd and honestly pretty dumb things to say about them. Thank you for listening to I Later Learn, now just about the halfway point of this season. If you've enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and stay up to date with our output by subscribing. We're already on all the big podcast distribution apps like Apple, Overcast, Amazon, Spotify. And please leave reviews also on there. Let's help a bunch. There's also a thread on the Learning League message boards to discuss the podcast. And you can email me at the show at ilaterlearned at gmail.com.
Also, if you've enjoyed my storytelling on the show here so far, I wrote a book that comes out next month. It's a biography of tennis star Naomi Osaka, and it's available to pre-order in hardcover, ebook, or audiobook, whichever you prefer. I'd be very grateful to anyone who's enjoyed the show for buying a copy. Until next time, here's to learning. Yeah. <laughs>